have your Bibles, I want to ask you to turn to one of the letters of the New Testament, Ephesians. You're not sure where that's at. Uh, and you, well, if you have a digital Bible, you just type in Ephesians and it'll bring you right to it. But if you have the old, the book styled, this kind, it has a table of contents at the beginning and you can turn there and find out where Ephesians is at. Uh, we're going to start a, a series on the book of Ephesians. Uh, usually I deal very topically. I, I really think that uh, really all sermons are topical. They just might deal with one verse. But uh, today we're going to dive into the book of Ephesians. We're going to start that process and we're going to uh, finish it on out in the next couple of weeks leading up to Easter. I wanted to share with you a little preamble, a little tease about Easter. It's going to be very different uh, here at Hope Crossings than what it has been. We're going to celebrate the same thing that's been celebrated for 2,000 years, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was six years ago that we did something quite different uh, here on that Easter uh, morning. I brought in a canvas and I started painting, and I'd never, ever done that before. I never painted uh, in public. I don't paint in private. I paint houses. That was totally different. Uh, but this was on a canvas. And, um, and so we're not, I'm not going to do that again. But it's going to be that flavor. But I'm still not going to do it. Okay? So I'm just telling you, you're going to see something really cool uh, here on Easter. But Ephesians is going to lead us up to Easter. And so we'll be walking through Ephesians until we get to Easter. After Easter, I'm really looking at diving into the book of Genesis, and we're going to study that. I think if you can understand Genesis, you got a head start on the whole rest of the Bible. But today we're starting in Ephesians. And so uh, we're going to read uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. We're going to deal with a topic today. We're going to dive deep into a particular topic and a subject uh, that I would share with you uh, right up front that not everyone uh, in the body of Christ agrees with what I'm going to teach today. Not everyone who's a Christian would agree with the details of what I'm going to talk about today. So I'm just sharing with you up front. There's some people that are over here on this side. There's some people over here on this side. And I think that in both camps, uh, we're both going to one day figure out where we were right and where we were wrong when we all get to heaven. You okay with that? Yeah. All right. Because we're human. All right. So I speak with confidence on this subject. Uh, actually, today marks uh, 39 years ago today that I started in full-time ministry. And I've never, ever preached on this subject. I've touched on it a little bit here and there, but I've never preached on it. Many reasons for that, but the, but the bottom line, the foundational reason was is because I wanted to make sure I had it right. Because it is, it is, when I say controversial, yeah, it's controversial, but there's just some people on either side of it. And I'm going to show you where I stand on it, but what I, where I stand on it is not important. What's important, what does this book say? That's what's important, okay? So... Here, let's start reading in Ephesians chapter 1. I don't know if you're ready or asleep by now because you're like, I'm tuning out. I don't want to have anything to do with this. <laughs> or you might be going, man, this is going to be awesome. I don't know where you're at, but we're going to go for it, okay? Ephesians chapter 1, let's start reading in verse number 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus. Remember that, God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from our God, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Christ Jesus, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavishes on us. Oh, I love that, don't you? God lavishes his grace on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Help us, Lord, to be those who would read your word, not to confirm what we've already decided, but to know you more. Lord, to understand who you are so that we would understand who we are and we would understand our relationship with you. So, Lord, teach us today, lead us and guide us by your spirit in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. There are um, many churches today who are calling themselves Reformed churches. Uh, I have relatives that go to Reformed churches. What does the word reform mean? It means a reforming. In other words, something went haywire and we've got to reform this. I would submit to you that every church is a Reformed church because we're all messed up and we're getting reformed into the image of Christ. Amen? And so I think the gospel is reforming. The Word of God is reforming. The Holy Spirit is reforming. The body of Christ is reforming. But there's a specific uh, group that is calling themselves reformed or reformed theology. This word was first used back uh, really about 500 years ago in the times of Martin Luther and John Calvin, in which these men were really not fighting against the Catholic Church. They actually loved the Catholic Church and were Catholic. But they were realizing the abuses and the waywardness of the theology of forgiveness and grace and salvation. And so these men were really fighting for the Word of God and trying to say, hey, let's, let's look at the Word of God and not just simply follow what the leaders of the organized church is doing. I'm thankful that in my early years I, I was helped shaped uh, by some men who had that humble attitude, and I've tried to convey that as well. 
that uh, anything I say must be submitted to the Word of God. It is my, my job, my path, my plan, my desire to teach you God's Word, but I'm human. I'm capable of making a mistake, and if you ever hear me make a mistake, you call me on the carpet on Monday over coffee, okay? We're all capable of making mistakes, and so we all are constantly saying, God, help me to know you more. Help me to learn more, and that's what this is really all about. The Reformed theology back 500 years ago and in the day in which we live is a counterbalance to what I'm just simply going to call cheap grace or the in and out of decision salvation. The in and out of decision salvation. The cheap grace. The kind of theology that simply says, hey, you want to be a Christian? Hey, awesome. Just say this prayer. You're a Christian now. Wow. I, I don't remember Jesus saying that. You know, 40 days fasting in the wilderness, tempted of the devil. He comes forth at about 30 years old, and he's starting off his ministry, and he's, he's gathering his disciples. He says, hey, hey, John, Peter, Bartholomew, hey, come here, man. Say this prayer. <laughs> he said, follow me. But in today's culture, many people are saying, if you want to become a Christian, just say this prayer. And they even give you the prayer. They said, repeat after me. Look, I've done it. I'm not against it. It's not wrong. It's just incomplete. It's not wrong. It's incomplete. And so the Reformed theology is trying to be a counterbalance to that and saying, wait a minute. Because we've got people who are saying, yeah, I'm a Christian. How do you know you're a Christian? Well, I said the prayer. I said the prayer. And that's that in and out. It's like... Yeah, I've been saved 14 times. Okay. You've been adopted 14 times? Because that's really biblically. You see, and see, that's what, so the reform is coming way over here and saying, wait a minute, that's out of balance. We've got to counterbalance this. And so I think that's important and good. But I think also in any of us, we can go too far, which is what Reformed theology is all about. It's because you guys have gone too far over here on this say the prayer and you're saved business. And so we're counterbalancing over here. And the, the human nature says we're just going to keep counterbalancing and then we get into error. We're all capable of getting into error. And we, we need one another and we need the Word of God in a constant steady study of God's word. Martin Luther lived between 1483 and 1546. John Calvin uh, lived from 1509 to 1564. So there's, they, were, they were contemporaries for a short period of time. John Calvin was eight years old when Martin Luther pinned his 95 thesis to the door of the Wittenberg Church in Germany. So that gives you an idea. Uh, Martin Luther was, was a real turning point in the Reformation, which had already begun. They were already saying, hey, listen, um, salvation is not by works. And in that time period, the people would come to the priest and say, hey, how can I be forgiven? And he would say something like, say, five Hail Marys, uh, do something great for your neighbor and bring two chickens to the church. <clears throat> something like that. In other words, it was by works. If you do these things, you'll be forgiven. And Martin Luther, along with many others prior to him and in his time period as well, 
said, hey, that's not what the Word of God says. The Word of God says you are saved by grace through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, lest any man should boast. My submission to you is when you say, hey, here's how you become a Christian. Say this prayer. It's just a little work, and you're saved. It's works. It's salvation by works. Say this prayer. That's all you have to do. Say the prayer. Or bring two chickens to the church. Don't do that today. That was 500 years ago. So there, John Calvin is the one who is attributed uh, with the, the real expansion of this reform of that time period 500 years ago. And it's Calvinism is what many people would call it. I'm not here to throw John Calvin under the bus or anybody else. I'm not here to in, be insulting to anyone who believes um, over here in Calvinism or in the predestination, which is the word that I, I think you probably honed in on a couple of times as we read today. There's this thing about predestination. What does the Bible teach about predestination? John Calvin was the one who really uh, came up and said, you know, uh, God, before the world began, before God created the world, he predestined certain people to be saved. Now, this is what some people believe today as well, that before the world began, God predestined, already decided who was going to go to heaven and who was not going to go to heaven. Before time began, before the world began, rather, before he created the world, God looked in and said, okay, I, I can see, I know all the people who will ever live. And I'm selecting these guys and those guys and these guys and these guys to go to heaven. They will accept my plan of salvation. In fact, they will have to because I have selected them. But by default then, well, I've selected all these other people to not receive my plan of salvation. They can't because I forbid it. And therefore, I have chosen them to not be with me in heaven, but to spend eternity in outer darkness in a place called hell. Now, that's Calvinism. That is the, the belief system of predestination on steroids. I believe in predestination because the Bible says predestination. The question is, what did God predestine? I told you we're going deep, didn't I? I warned you. There are some people who believe that. God has already selected in fact, I had a conversation with a pastor some time ago in my office, and we were talking about many different things, both personal life and theological life and pastoring life and all this stuff, and it just came up that he was a Calvinist. He says, yeah, I'm a Calvinist. I know. I know. I'm really strong into that. I said, okay. I said, okay. So what you're saying is, before the world began, God selected certain people to be saved. They have to be saved. They don't have a choice about it. They're going to be saved and they're going to spend eternity with him in heaven. Then he selected other people. They can't be saved. He forbids them to be saved and they're going to spend eternity in hell. Is that what you believe? It was amazing how fast the theological breaks were applied. There was some backpilling. Well, I mean, I mean, I'm, 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 you know, I'm kind of, I said, hey, don't worry about it. It's fine. You see, when you put it like that, it, it brings a whole new flavor, but that's what some people 
actually believe. I submit to you today, I do not believe that. But let's find out why. Because what I believe is not really that important. What the Word of God says is what's important. So I believe that there are people who believe what I described, and there are people who don't believe it. We can be Christians. You okay with that? We can be Christians. We can even have fellowship with one another. We can even love one another. I didn't get any amens out of that one. I'm like, okay. Next week we're talking about love. Just kidding. Okay. There's a difference between, let's get into this. Let's, let's get rolling and we're, we're going to get to the good stuff. There's a difference between pre-knowledge and predestination. And that's where I think the confusion begins to start. God pre-knows everything. He pre-knows. He already knows everything. But that is not equated with God has pre-decided everything. I, even, I spoke to someone years ago who said, God has already decided what, everything that you will ever do. <laughs> Whoa, that's like steroid on steroid on steroid. It's like, yeah, God's already decided what everybody, he decided before time began, everything that you will ever do. I'm like, well, there's, there's no basis of, for scripture in that. There's none. So there's a difference between pre-knowing and predestined or predeciding. God knows everything, but he has not predecided everything. If God has already chosen who will be saved, then why does God's word say, 1 Timothy 2, 3, and 4, God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. If God has already decided who's going to be saved, then why does the Bible say 2 Peter 3, 9? The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. If God's already decided who's going to be saved and who's not, then how then do we read John 3, 16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. We see this struggle and this tension that, that people try to understand and grasp and we, we tend to fall to that one side or the other side and that is the will of God and the will of man. I think we would all admit that God is stronger than us, right? I think we'd all admit that. The will of God and the will of man. And there's a tension there because God is sovereign and, and he doesn't have cheap grace. God is sovereign and he wills certain things to happen. And yet he opens up the door and says, whosoever can call on the name of my son Jesus and be saved. This tension between the will of God and the will of man can be found there in Matthew 23, 37. When Jesus stood up and said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. He says, how often I have longed to gather you to myself like a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not 
willing. He says, I've desired it, but you were unwilling. I've wanted that, but you didn't have anything to do with it. There's that tension there that we've got to wrestle with, we have to deal with. And that's why it's detrimental for us to to use terminology, and we maybe have all done it, I don't know, but it's detrimental for us to use terminology like, well, if it's the Lord's will, it'll happen. Well, if God wants it to happen, it'll happen. And we can walk through life with that type mentality, and I would submit to you that's a trick of your flesh to, to give you an excuse not to buck up. Told you we were going deep. Yeah, but you didn't say you are going to insult us. Yeah, we, 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 because we're wrestling with this, I don't want to do a bunch of work and it not be God's will, and then I've wasted time. I hate that. That's why I'm not a carpenter. Because I spend all the time measuring boards and still cut them wrong. The same way, we don't want to do a bunch of stuff and then go, oh, God wasn't into that. And so we just go, well, whatever, whatever God wants will happen. It's a trick. We've got to say, God, I, I'm trying to discover your will. I'm trying to understand what you want. I'm going to start right here. <laughs> and if the Bible tells me I should be supposed to be doing something, I'll get busy doing it. If the Bible says avoid it, I'm going to avoid it. I'm going to stay away from it. But there's this will of man that's involved in this. And this, this predestination kind of a, this, well, once you're saved and you've said the prayer and you went down front and you got dunked in water, well, then you're good because God's chosen you. And then where's holiness and where's, where's Christ being formed in us? Where's growth? All those things are negated. Let me ask you a question. Which person is a better representative of God? Number one, a leader who serves, provides, forgives, rewards, protects, and loves. Or number two, a leader who demands and takes away people's ability to choose. I think the better representative is number one. A dictator is the one who just decides and takes away your ability to choose. And thank God he is not a dictator. I just thank God he is not a dictator. He says, I'm going to provide, love, serve. I'm going to give, and I'm going to, I'm going to make it available to you. Now you get to choose. But I think this cheap grace is when we just tell people uh, about getting saved. Hey, get saved, and your life would be great and awesome, and the Lord is so good and wonderful. It's amazing. Jesus didn't just didn't use that approach. He said, if you follow me, you're going to have persecution. If you follow me, you're going to have trouble. If you follow me, not everybody's going to like you. If you follow me, it's going to be tough. I think it's time for us, the church of Jesus Christ, to come back to the reality that serving Christ is not always easy. We don't need to make it more difficult than it is. I'm just saying it's not easy. And not everybody's going to like our decision, and not everybody's going to like our stance. Not everyone's going to like the fact that we stand up for righteousness and that there is a right and a wrong, and the Bible tells us what it is. All through history, whether in in biblical references or not, whenever people live according to what they just think is right, it never turns out well. Remember the times everybody lived in, in accordance with what they thought was right. And that always ends up wrong. 
But God has told us what is right and what is wrong and how we're supposed to live. And not everybody's going to accept that and like that. I want to cross-reference something here. If you'll turn to Romans chapter 8, please. And I, I want to use this as a, as a cross-reference. The Bible um, uses the word predestined in the King James, it's four times. Um, I think in the ESV, it's five times. In the C CSB, I think it's six times. So there's some different verses that some would translate predestined, but predominantly it's used four times and sometimes five times. It's never used in connection with a person's name. It is always used in connection with a group. When letters that are written to a church, the church at Rome, the church at Ephesus, the word predestined is used. So we've just read, it's used twice there in, first, uh, in, in Ephesians chapter 1. Now in Romans chapter 8, we see this again. But this is where I think it becomes much more clear about predestination. Has God predestined certain things? He absolutely has, because the Bible says he has predestined. So therefore, he has predestined. The question is, did he predestine you and you and you and you as individuals? But nowhere in the Bible does it say God predestined John and Susie and Mary and Wilbur. It doesn't say that. But it uses it as a group. It's Romans chapter 8. In verse uh, 28 through 30. And we know that all things work, and we know that all things God works for the good of those who love him. Can everybody just say those two words? Love him. Let's say it again. Love him. Who have been called according to his purpose. For those who God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Here we see that God has called and predestined, and he's given a purpose and a will. Now, what has God predestined? God's predestined many things. Number one, God has predestined that he would provide a savior. That's something that God decided ahead of time. He predestined that he, he has power over sin, death, and hell. God has predestined that he will always have a people who obey him. That's predestined. He has predestined he will bless them with his favor, that he will never leave his people and they will live with him forever. He has predestined that. But he has not predestined the pinpointing the exact people who will be in that group of his people. He has opened that up and said, you are welcome. Anyone and everyone is welcome. Remember the parable that Jesus gave about the man who was going to have a festival. He was going to have a party. He goes, okay, go out and send an invitation to my friends. So the servants sent out, sent out information, uh, invitations to the friends, and they were all too busy. And the master of the ceremonies was a little ticked off said, okay, go out and invite anybody. And the house was full. Well, that's the way God is. He's saying, I have selected Israel and I invited you first and you rejected it. Okay, fine. I've opened it up. But wait a minute. If it's God's will that the Israelites come and they didn't come, then God, did God predestine them to come? God opens it up to everybody. He says, come, come. Now, some of you have may had teaching along these lines. Well, we don't know if God's chosen you or not. Or, 
God has opened it up to everybody. You're here today, your neighbors, your cousin, everybody in the whole world, it's opened up for salvation. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? It's powerful. And those who reject God, he says, okay, it's not what I wanted. It's not what I provided, but you've rejected me. You've rejected me. Here we find that God has predestined the church of Jesus Christ, but not the individual members who will be in it. But he's predestined the church. And those who come into the church, there in verse number 28, God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so then those who love him are brought into the church. And what is it that God has predestined to happen to the members of the church? Number one, that they would be conformed to the image of his son. We are in the process right now. God has predestined us to be formed, conformed into the image of his son. That word in the Greek means that we would be conformed to the most holy and blessed state of mind which Christ possesses. God is in the process right now. He's saying, those who come to me and are saved, I predestined that they will be conformed into the image of my son. He is right now forming you and shaping you. How many of you would say, and I want a response, how many of you would say, you know what? I've been serving the Lord for some time, and I am not the man or the woman I used to be. I am a different person now because of God working in my life. How many would say yes to that? Amen. Amen. So he is in the process right now, and that's what he has predestined, that those who would come to him, whoever would come to him, would he would begin that process of conforming them, shaping them, molding them, changing their way of thinking to better represent his way of thinking. And that is what he has predestined. We can't get confused with those two. He didn't predestine the individual, but when the individual comes to him, he says, I'm predestining you, you're going to be conformed. Anyone who calls in the name of the Lord, I've got a plan for your life. I'm going to form you and shape you. He says we are called. Right there in Romans, he says, I've, I've predestined. I'm calling them. That is an invitation. Those who have already come and received Christ, he's saying, I'm still sending you an invitation because I'm drawing you closer to myself. That is the love that God has for us. Not just a love that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. That now that we're Christians and a part of the body of Christ, God says, I'm still sending you invitation. I want to draw you into myself. Can I dare say that God has a party and he wants you to be there? God has a celebration and he wants you to be there. God has a, say, a love feast and he wants you to be there because that's how much he loves you. He's constantly sending us invitations. He's saying, draw close to me. I've got so much more for you than what you could ever even imagine. Draw close to me. And that's where we can't say, well, if it's the Lord's will, he's saying, you draw close to me and I will draw close to you. That's the, the beauty of a love relationship. You see, if we just simply say, well, God's chosen some and he's rejected some, it's kind of a business transaction. Kind of like going to the grocery store. You don't bring everything home. You just pick and choose what you want and that's what you take. That's a business transaction. God will have nothing to do with that. What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbors yourself. That's the relationship that we have in God is constantly drawing us into a greater love than ever before. 
Again, I want a response. How many of you say, you know what? When I was a new Christian, I still had a problem loving people and loving my enemies and loving people that were mean to me. But now that I've matured and grown, I've understood I can now love people that disagree with me. How many would say, yeah, that's me? Yeah, see? Amen. See, we've grown because we've responded to his invitation. And I would submit to you today, God's inviting you to draw close to him. He's got some more work in your life. Number three, we got two more. Number three, he has called us, predestined us to be justified. That means pronounced righteous and therefore acceptable. He has predestined that those who would come to Christ and receive salvation, we'd be proclaimed justified. That means right in the sight of God, not in the sight of all men, not in the sight of all governments, not in the sight of all authorities, but in the sight of God himself. He's saying, I have predestined that those who will come to me through Christ will be declared justified. There have been many who have looked at that and said, well, let's break it down just if I'd never sinned. That's pretty good, pretty good illustration. He's saying, I'm, that's what I have predestined. Before time began, there's going to be a group of people who are going to be justified before me. Not because they became so good. It's because they received my goodness into their life. That's what God's done. He's saying to you that have come to know Christ, you're justified. You do not have to worry when you stand before God. Will I be good enough? The question is, do you have Christ in your life? He is good enough. Not a question of how good we become, but it's a question of who are we standing with? Christ. Amen? Amen. I heard the story recently about a, uh, a pastor was talking about uh, the thief on the cross who put faith in Christ even in his dying moments. And he got to heaven. And uh, they were like, uh, yeah, what's your name? Yeah, my name is, you know, let's say Bill, whatever. Yeah, um, well, we're having a little problem. Um, Bill, um, what line of Israel did you come from? Yeah, I, I don't know anything about that. Um, what is your stance on justification by faith? Yeah, I don't, never heard of that. Um, well, do you believe in the Apostles' Creed? Yeah, don't know anything about that either. Well, then why are you here? The guy on the cross said I could be here. <laughs> he, said, he said I could be here. Listen, when you get to heaven, ain't nobody going to ask you, do you know the Apostles' Creed? They're going to say, hey, why are you here? He, he said, I could be here. <laughs> Jesus said, I could be here. That's a ticket. Amen? Yeah. Last and not least, and the band's going to come up, and we're going to have some more time of worship. The Word says God has predestined you who have called on the name of the Lord to be glorified. That's what the word says. I know, I know we talk about glorification and pride, and sometimes we get those intermingled together. And yet the word tells us that we're, we're going to be glorified. But what is the glorification for? The Bible tells us that in the ages to come, God's going to point to us and say to the principalities and powers, look what I did. Look what I did. Look at my children. Look at them. Some of them were murderers and thieves and if they stole things, they beat people up, they mugged people, they abused people. They were rotten to the core, but I saved them. Look at my grace. Look at my love. And it's going to bring glory and honor to God. As we are glorified, it brings glory and honor to God. That's what God's predestined, that we would be the objects of his glory. We would be that trophy. You know what a trophy is? Not participation trophies. I mean, real trophies. 
like for accomplishment. It's a new concept. A trophy for an accomplishment. You did something. Here, here's a trophy. The trophy is made of metal, wood, plastic, whatever. But it is a symbol of something else. Usually has a little plaque on it, you know, to so-and-so for whatever. That's what we are. We're just trophies. We're just, we're just a little trophy on God's shelf. And he says, look, I remember. I remember this person was lost, was a drunk and a drug addict, lived a life of immorality, completely devoid of godliness at all. They were just absolutely lost, involved in all kinds of sin. But somebody preached the gospel to them. Somebody told them about my son Jesus. And they said yes to Jesus. And I cleaned them up. And I saved them. I forgave them. That's the one that I had planned on. I didn't know who it would be. But that's what I planned on. That those who would call on me, I'd, I'd rescue them and clean them up. And now look, look, a trophy of my grace. That's what we are. We're just trophies of God's grace. We're made of Metal, plastic, wood, we're just made of stuff, but we're trophies of his grace. That's what you are if you've accepted Christ. And I would submit to you today, if you've not accepted Christ as your Savior, it's not a question of whether has God chosen me or not. God has made it available to anyone and everyone to be saved. And now the decision is in your court. The decision is in your hands. Have you accepted Christ as your Savior? because that is the only way to get to heaven. Yes, it's exclusive, but Jesus made it exclusive. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. That's what he said. So if he said that, we would have a tough time saying, well, he was a good man, because good men don't say that. Well, he was a good teacher. Well, unless that statement's true, good teachers don't say false statements. He was either crazy or the son of God. And I submit to you, he was and is the son of God. And he will save you right now. You'll call on his name. Call on his name. To God, I'm that guy lost, doing all kinds of stuff. I'm lost. God, please save me. Please save me. Please save me. Let's pray together.